Hey guys, this is Rocky, and you're listening to the God Loves Miami podcast. I want to welcome you to today's episode, and I also want to encourage you to follow us on social media at God Loves Miami on Instagram and Facebook so that you can find out all that we are about and what God is calling us to do in our city. And now here's Pastor Mark. And I pray for the school, I pray for the kids. There's so much, so many different things happening at every single level of this place. And um, we're very blessed that God allows us to call this home every single weekend. And um, the reason that I'm talking about this too is because it's kind of ironic. Because as a kid, as a teenager, um, I didn't like school that much. I actually didn't even like driving by school. I remember in the summer, I like wanted nothing to do with school. I didn't want to drive by the school. I didn't want to hear the school. I went to private school. Um, I graduated from a private school in Hialeah. And my girlfriend at the time went to the church of the school. And I didn't even like going to church with her because I didn't want to be in the same building um, where where the school was. And and one of the reasons is because I had this teacher, right? Do you guys ever, did any of you have like that teacher? You know, the enforcer, the one that just wanted to bust your chops all the time. I love teachers. I have a couple teachers looking at mad-dogging me right now. Um, I have a couple sisters that are teachers. And and Jesus has changed me. But when I was in school, there was this one specific teacher that he just wanted to bust my chops. I mean, he was like waiting for any of us to make a mistake. And it was like, detention. He loved saying detention. He could be, I should have given him a detention for his like terrible English. But uh, he'd give me a detention all the time. And, and if you would say like, please, please, come on, give me a chance. He goes, two hour detention. And like, two hours, three hour detention. Right? I think he like watched the breakfast club a little too many times. And, um, you know... Every day we encounter people like that. We encounter difficult people. Can I get an amen? Anybody encounter difficult people? You know, and some people are very delightful, but there's a lot of difficult people. There's some inspiring people, but then there's people that are irritating, that irritate us. There's fascinating people and there's intimidating people. The fact is that a lot of the problems that we have in life are people problems, personality problems. We don't get along with people. You see, when your relationships are bad, life stinks, right? It it really does. Life is miserable when we don't get along with the people, especially the people that we have to see every single day. You may have lots of money, you may have lots of opportunities, but if your relationships are bad, you're going to be miserable. It's very important that we learn to get along with people. James gives us some practical advice, so we're continuing in our series through the book of James, and today we're going to look at what he has to say, what is the secret to healthy relationships And we're going to be looking at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. But I believe that the secret is found in verse 18. And it says that, And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and will reap a harvest of goodness. The Bible teaches us a principle that you reap what you sow. What you put in is what you're going to get out. And James says that every day in every relationship that you have, you are planting seeds, seeds of anger, Seeds of jealousy, of peace, of confidence, of insecurity, many different kinds of seeds. And so you will inevitably reap the fruit of what you're investing in your relationships. How can I plant seeds of peace, you're probably thinking. How can I plant seeds of being a peacemaker? How can I have peaceful relationships? Because that's what we want. We want like wherever we go, every relationship that we have, we just want there to be peace. And James tells us that the key is wisdom. 
If you want to have good relationships, you need to have wisdom. We need to learn to be wise in the way that we act towards people. And our problem is that we treat people very foolishly, and yet we want to reap something different. We provoke them, and then we want to have an opposite reaction to the way that we treat them. And see, that's not the way that things go. And we know that if someone mistreats us, it's very difficult to treat them nice. If someone yells at us, it's very difficult to respond with a soft response. You see, the problem is that common sense is not that common anymore. There's a lot of smart people, but there's not wise people. They may be very educated, but they don't have wisdom. They may have all kinds of degrees, but they're washed out when it comes to their relationships. James, in this passage, he does three things. He defines what real wisdom is. He shows how it differs from human wisdom. And then he details how it operates. And so if you have your Bibles, pull them out. James chapter 3. If not, it's going to be up here on the screens. Starting in verse 13, it says, If you're wise, live a life of steady goodness so that only good deeds will pour forth. And if you don't brag about them, then you will be truly wise. See, bragging messes up wisdom. And by all means, don't brag about being wise and good if you are bitter and jealous and selfish. That is the worst sort of lie. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, inspired by the devil. For wherever there is jealousy or selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every other kind of evil. But wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and full of quiet gentleness Then it is peace-loving and courteous. It allows discussion, and it's willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It is wholehearted and straightforward and sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. You can stop there. The first thing that he says in verse 13 is that wisdom is a lifestyle. Wisdom is not just something you resort to. Wisdom is how we live our lives. You see, it has nothing to do with your intelligence, but it has everything to do with your relationships and your character. Who's wise and understanding among you, James is asking us. Let him show it by the good deeds in his life, by his humility. And it comes from wisdom. See, it doesn't matter what you say with your lips. It's how you live your life. It doesn't matter like the things that you say, oh, I'm this type of person, or, or I do this, or I do that. If the fruit, the way that you live your life doesn't match what you're saying. And so you're probably thinking, so, so Pastor Mark, how, how can I get along with people? I, I want to know how to get along with people. If this is a lifestyle, how, how do I get this type of lifestyle? You see, wisdom has more to do with character and relationships than it does with ed- education and intelligence. Wis- wisdom creates humility. You see, knowledge, it causes pride. You can know a lot. And what happens usually with someone who knows a lot, they can be very arrogant, Right? Oh, look at everything that I've accomplished. Look at everything that I've done. But if if you have wisdom, wisdom causes humility. In verses 14 through 16, James says that a lack of wisdom causes problems, all kinds of problems. Think about maybe problems that you're having right now in your life, problems that you're seeing around, problems that people have. Verse 14 says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, Don't boast about it and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, even from the devil. That type of attitude, it it comes straight from the pit of hell, right? It's terrible. Lack of wisdom causes all kinds of disorder. It causes all kinds of problems. Do you have confusion in your home today? Do you have confusion at work? Is your life a mess? 
See, if you can't get it together, it's because we lack wisdom. And it causes all kinds of problems in our life. But how can, how can we, you're, you're thinking it's like, oh man, this is terrible. I mean, my life is like done, right? No, we're just talking about this stuff. But today you will leave with the tools that you need to have a great life, to have great relationships. And the great thing about Jesus is that he makes everything new. And so if we can identify, this is where the problems exist in my life, in my career, in my education, in my future. We can identify them. God gives us the recipe, and in Jesus' name, we have hope to walk out of here today and begin to inspire the people around us and begin to live different lives. And so the way that we begin to relate ourselves, the way that we begin to change ourselves and live a wise life, James tells us in verse 17, he says, but wisdom, it comes from heaven. And the first step is that it is pure. Then, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere. And so the secret to healthy relationships, the first thing is that we must have pure intentions. Isn't it sad that usually people don't have pure intentions? I mean, isn't it terrible how jaded we can be when someone comes to talk to us for the first time? We're wondering, what do they want from me? When our phone rings and we see that name, we're like, ah, you know what I mean, right? Am I the only one? Am I the only person that has those thoughts? No, we all do. Our intentions are impure. The wisdom that comes from heaven, it's first pure. Pure means uncorrupted, authentic. When the Bible talks about Jesus and describes Jesus, it describes his integrity. It describes his purity. See, if I'm really genuine, then I am wise. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to cheat you. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to be deceitful. I'm a person of integrity because all my relationships are built on trust. They're built on respect. See, if you don't have honesty, then you really don't have real relationships. People don't trust you. They're like, oh, there he comes. There she comes. Dr. Leonard Keeler, this is the guy that invented the lie detector test. All right, he did 25,000 tests before that they said, okay, this really works. We can really detect if someone's lying. You know when he was done, what he, um, his conclusion was is that people are basically dishonest. That's terrible. 25,000 people. And his conclusion was that everybody's dishonest. right? See, it doesn't have to be that way. It does not have to. Proverbs 10.9 says that they the man of integrity walks securely. And if you're worried about showing up somewhere because of what someone's going to say about you, then we need to begin to analyze ourselves. Am I someone of integrity? If I'm worried to walk into that room, if I'm worried to go to that place because what people are going to say about me or what they've been talking about me, then we need to look at our lives and today say, God, help me to be a person of integrity. Help me to have pure intentions. See, we're not afraid of being found out because there's nothing to be found out. You see, somebody said once that no man has a good enough memory to be a habitual liar. Because one day it's going to catch up to you. I remember when I was a kid, there was this um, commercial by uh, the the Mormon church. And it's like, when you tell one lie, it leads to another. Man, that, that song used to haunt me. In the middle of the night, you know, whenever I would tell a little white lie as a kid, I, I would hear that song playing in my head over and over. The second thing we need to do to have healthy relationships is that I must pursue peace. Wow, that's tough. Because there's people, family members that we have, friends that we have, neighbors, right? Oh my gosh, that neighbor 
that can drive us nuts, that just plays music a little too loud, like on a Tuesday, you know what I mean? And it's difficult, and, and God is telling us, hey, you want to have good relations? Pursue peace, seek peace in every situation. You know that God doesn't tell us to just love peace. He tells us to be peacemakers, to create peace. You wouldn't have to create peace if we didn't live in a chaotic world, if we weren't surrounded by sinful people, but God knew that there was going to be difficult people in the world. He said, pursue peace. You see, wise people work at maintaining harmony, harmony at home, harmony with your kids, harmony at work. As difficult as it may be, it is possible. The Bible promises us that God will never put us in a situation that we can't handle. And so, He's telling us to pursue peace because it is possible. Proverbs 23 says, any fool can start arguments. Any fool can start arguments. The wise thing is to stay out of them. And what are some of the things that start arguments? I'll give you a few. I mean, comparing. You're just like your mom. That's never going to go well. Okay? Like, don't say that, especially to your wife or, or to your husband. That, that's just not going to work. All right, not because I've ever done anything like that before. You know, or we tell our kids, when I was your age, you know, I couldn't wait to be old and have kids so that I can tell my kids that. Hey, when I was your age, and now I'm studying the Bible, I'm growing as a Christian, and it's like, you shouldn't say things like that. When I was, when I was 10, I, I told my son the other day, and here I am, right, I think like this week, I told my son Caleb because he had a mess in his room. I'm like, when I was your age, I had two jobs. And it was true, I had two jobs. I worked at the school that I went to and I worked for my dad, right? And it wasn't like an apprentice, it was like me and my dad, that was the company, okay? And, uh, and I'm like, you can't even pick up your room. And it's like, I'm so, that's so encouraging, right? You're like, pray for your pastor, okay? <laughs> Second Corinthians 10, 12 says, it is unwise to compare. You want to have good relationships, don't compare, all right? The second thing is don't be condemning, Oh my gosh, that's tough. It's all your fault. Have we ever said that? Tu culpa. You should be ashamed of yourself. It's like these are like all the good lines that I learned growing up. I mean, you know. We lay the guilt on people. You know what? And don't use the word never or always because it's not true. They're not always bad. Sometimes they're good, right? It's always the same thing. No, it's not always the same thing. Yet those words, man, they trigger pain in the lives of the people that we talk to. You can bury a marriage with these little digs, these little digs. You're always, you do this, and I come home, and this is always the same thing, and all you're doing is you're digging this ditch, and eventually you're going to bury your marriage. The third thing is contradicting, all right? How do you like to be interrupted mid-sentence? It's irritating, right? If you have kids, you know exactly what that's like. You're telling a story like, Hey, yeah, on May 5th, uh, I went fishing with my friend Johnny. And it's like, Papi, it wasn't May 5th, it was May 25th. And I'm like, okay, on May 25th, I, I went fishing with my friend Johnny. It wasn't with Johnny, it was with Pepe. And I'm like, okay, on May 25th, I went fishing with Pepe. No, it wasn't fishing, you went hunting. It's like, yeah, he ruined the story. Forget it, I, I'm not even going to tell the story. He killed the punchline contradicting causes arguments. You know, it's better to let 
your dad be a fool and then say, hey, papi, that entire story that you told, it wasn't true. Like, it wasn't the 25th. I mean, can, do you need to sleep more? Is there a pill I can buy you? You know what I mean? So if you're wise, you won't sweat the small stuff. But sadly, we do that so much. Sweat the small stuff. The best marital advice that I ever got. That's the only thing I remember from my premarital counseling was pick your battles. Pick your battles. You don't want to be a nagging wife. You don't want to be a nagging husband. You don't want to be a nagging son-in-law or, or daughter-in-law, like fighting about everything. But that's what happens. You know, you argue about the milk. You argue about the dog, the kids, the socks. And then the day that you have something really important to argue about, you know what's going to happen? Your wife's heart, your wife's ears are going to be shut. And it doesn't matter. I'm going to buy a $5,000, $10,000 Louis Vuitton purse because he gets mad by the way I make eggs. He gets mad about, you know, the way I brush my teeth, the way I leave the toothbrush. And so Louis Vuitton, who cares? He's going to complain. I'm used to it. We become desensitized. Pick your battles. There have been very few times, and I think like one and a half times, in 16 years of marriage that I have said, absolutely not. And I, I thought that like a bomb was going to go off and Leilani just said, okay. Because in 16 years of marriage, I've never said absolutely not. There have been moments when we've discussed stuff and we said, hey, this isn't the best decision. And we've had a dialogue about it. But there was one time she didn't agree with me and I just said, no, we're not going to do it. One time in 16 years. Why? Because if there's anything I learned from like three weeks or a month of marriage counseling was that pick your battles. And if you pick your battles, you will see that it'll be a lot easier because you're going to have arguments. You're going to have discussions. We had to have like a 10-minute apology on the way to church today with our kids because we lost it with them on the, on, before we got to church today. Right, guys? And we, we're in the car, and I'm like, we're about to go minister to people and pray for people and talk about good relationships, and we're yelling at each other. And me and Leilani just said, we're so sorry. We love you. Let's pray. And that was it, you know, because we recognized what, what we did was wrong. And, and they apologized, too, because then they're like, oh, man, you know, we really messed up, too. You see, that's what good relationships are by. Proverbs 14 says this, a wise man controls his temper. Some women are thinking right now, I, I got a, who, who has a cricket that can make a shirt so that I can, like, wear it, you know? Um, like we got some cricket users here, right? But a wise man, a wise woman too, so feel free to edit that in, in your phone. A wise woman, a wise man controls his temper. He knows, she knows that anger causes mistakes. Think about all the mistakes that we've made in our lives when we've been angry. We've made a decision, said something. Like, have you ever felt like, oh my gosh, if I could just take that back? Because that's what anger does. Anger causes us to do stupid things. We've done so many things when we've been angry. The third thing is that we must consider others' feelings. When things are going on, man, think about the other person. Some of you probably have a difficult person that you work with. Think about them. Think about the home that they go to. The situ You will see, you will find yourself being a more considerate and loving person when you begin to consider other people's feelings, not just yours, but it's so difficult because we're always thinking about me. I'm my favorite person, right? And yet... We have no idea why they're going through what they're going through. And God, the reason why maybe you're stuck in this terrible relationship with someone you work with is because you're there because God wants you to be his love and light in that place. And until you get it right, you're going to be stuck there. 
Start loving them. Start caring about them. And you will see, maybe you'll get a promotion. Maybe they'll move. But the reason sometimes that we're in these difficult situations is because as children of light and as the children of God, God is calling us to be change agents. See, there's a common mistake that a lot of us think that, you know, someone tells us this is the way that I feel and, and then you say, no, but this is the way that I feel and, and if, if this is the way that I feel, then I'm right and you're wrong, right? A lot of times, it happens to me all the time with the air conditioning. Tengo frío, no, but I'm hot, I'm sweating bullets. And so she has to be completely wrong because if I'm sweating and she's cold, then I'm right because I have evidence. I have, you know, water on my face that's coming out of my pores, right? And she's saying she's cold. Could it be that we're both right? Could it be that we have different body temperatures, right? Could it be that I eat twice as much as she does, right? And I'll stop there. James says that wise people are considerate. They don't minimize other people's feelings. We do that all the time. Minim- I, you're such an exaggerator. What a drama queen, right? Oh my gosh, every time I talk to you, it's drama. I can't tell you anything. Don't minimize other people's feelings. They're real. If they're telling you that it hurts, if they're telling you your feelings, it's real. Consider them. If I'm wise, I will not minimize your feelings. I don't have to accept them but I could understand them. Proverbs 15, 4 says, kind words bring life. You want to bring life into a bad relationship? Start speaking kindly. Start speaking in love. But cruel words crush your spirit. Cruel words crush your spirit. Typically, when we react towards people's emotions negatively, what happens? We hurt their feelings. We hurt them. We really do. Oftentimes, we belittle their feelings. We're like, you're not important. When you don't consider someone else's feelings, even if you don't say it, you're making them feel like they are not important. James says, if I'm wise in relationships, I will not minimize other people's feelings. Do you guys play this game? I play this game sometimes, and we got to stop playing this game, right? I'll get home from work, or Leilani will get home from work, and say, oh my God, my day was so bad. My boss, and you know, my wife is a nurse, you know, a woman was bleeding, and oh, this baby was born with, you know... 13 fingers and all this stuff and I'm like ah you know and then the power went out and it was so hot and I was sweating and I'm like oh that's nothing has anybody ever done that you should have seen my day I was stuck on I-95 for a year you know I bought a chicken sandwich and it was raw and then I went to pick up the kids and then Caleb didn't come down I couldn't find them your day is nothing compared to mine And we play this game that my day was harder than your day instead of saying, babe, I'm sorry you had such a tough day. And you telling me, I know your day was hard too. It's not like we talked about this yesterday or anything, right? (laughs) Allow your spouse to be tired without having to say, I'm more tired than you. The fourth thing is we must be open to suggestions. Yes, husbands, we need to be open to suggestions. Children, be open. Parents, Let's be open to what our kids have to say as well. Just because you're the parent doesn't mean that you're always right. Could it be that you've done such a great job of raising kids that your kids probably know what they're talking about too? Look at it that way. You see, I'm using positivity to talk. Damn it, you're right. Yeah, you know, the reason that they're telling me this great advice is because I raised them. Do you just see me rephrasing how I'm talking to you opens up your, yeah, you know. 
But sometimes we want nothing to do with what our kids have to say. This is the way that it is, and that's it. And when you have a house, you do whatever you want, but this is my house, and this is the way we do it. That's so common. That's another line that I was dying to use when I became a parent. You see? Someone who's wise isn't defensive, but he's open to reason. He's not stubborn. He will listen and learn. Wisdom is submissive. And you see, the tr- sometimes things are lost in translation. And, and, and in our culture, the word submission sometimes can have like a negative connotation at times. But what, what James really means here is that wisdom is reasonable. Wisdom is willing to listen. Wisdom is open to new ideas. It is open to reason. It allows discussion. Are you a reasonable person? A reporter was interviewing this guy and asking him a bunch of questions about his lifestyle and stuff. And one of the questions that he asked him, are you a guy that that wakes up grumpy? And he says, no, I let her sleep in every day. (laughs) Can your kids reason with you? (laughs) He liked that. She's a little slow, but she got it there at the end. (laughs) The Bible says that if you're wise, you're going to be reasonable. You'll be open to suggestions. Who's going to be more open to suggestions after today? I have to be, right? I can't keep like telling you all these bad things that I do, mistakes that I've made. Do you say, I've made up my mind. You're not going to convince me. There's nothing that you can say to convince me. Or do you say, you know what? You have an opinion. Let me hear it. You give them a chance. You know, sometimes you don't even need to change your mind, but just allowing someone to talk and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. It'll allow you to understand what they're perceiving because sometimes people are perceiving something completely different than what, from what you want to do. You probably have this great vision. You've prayed about it. God has given you conviction about it. And then you talk about it and the person hearing it, maybe because of where they are in life or their understanding or whatever, or maybe it's just a challenge for you to grow, they don't understand the vision. And you listening to them allows them to open up because when someone opens up to talk, they open up. They're not shut. You allow them to open the door. The door's open. You listen. And now you could speak into their life. You can speak into the situation. You can have an understanding. Be open. Don't be defensive. Let's not be so oversensitive. If somebody makes a suggestion, don't think that it is a criticism. Sometimes it is. But imagine if you would just be open and say, you know what? I'm not going to allow them to influence my life and where I am. If you want to critique what I'm doing, that's fine. Let's talk about it. All right? James says that it's, it's dumb to not be open to criticism, to always be defensive. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, A fool thinks that he needs no advice. A wise man listens to others. See, if it's true, then let's listen. Let's learn from it. It's false. Let's ignore it. If someone tells us something that's not true, just ignore it, forget about it. But if you're wise, you'll be open to reason. The fifth thing is that I must show mercy when people make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. Our friends, our bosses, our kids, our spouses, our boyfriends, our girlfriends. People are going to make mistakes because we are imperfect. We will make mistakes. James tells us that wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. And so when people make mistakes around you, be open. Cut them some slack. But that's not what we do. Up, They go, he, I got you. You're wrong. Like my teacher, detention. And then you're like, man, give me some mercy. And what? Two hours detention. Oh, two hours, three hours. A lot of us are like that at home. A lot of us are like that at work and life. Do we always use 
People in our family as the butts of our jokes. That hurts too. Talk about yourself. Wisdom is full of mercy. Don't overemphasize people's mistakes. Build them up. God has called us to edify. What is edify? You see those cranes right there? They're edifying. In a couple months, there's going to be a huge building right there. You see, but that big powerful structure, if it fell down, it would destroy a bunch of people around it. It'll destroy itself. That's what happens. When we don't edify people, not only are we hurting people and tearing them down, but we ourselves are hurting ourselves and killing ourselves and becoming hard, becoming insensitive, not just to other people, but to to God. God can't get through to us because of how difficult we have become with his children that are around us. Another thing we need to do is we need to let go of the mistakes of the past. Let go of the things that happened in the past. Jesus forgave you. Imagine if Jesus, every single time he did something wrong, he'd be, I knew you would do it. You're never going to change. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus forgives and he forgets. Don't hold on to past mistakes for leverage because you're trying to have leverage on someone. Remember when you did that? Remember last time? Don't overemphasize people's mistakes. Be full of mercy. Be full of mercy. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Love forgets mistakes. Nagging about them parts even the best of friends. Let's pray today that that we would be loving people. Because sometimes when we hold on to the mistakes of others and our mistakes, the mistakes that have happened such a long time ago, they rob us of the life that God wants us to live. They rob us from being the people who God created us to be. See, if you're wise, you you won't rub it in when someone makes a mistake. You'll put your arm around them and say, hey, you know what? Thankfully, we have another chance. Thankfully, we could do it again. And I'm going to be there with you. How can I help you not make this mistake again? The wise thing to do is not to emphasize mistakes. Wisdom is full of mercy. I love what James chapter 2, we studied that a couple weeks ago. It says that mercy triumphs over judgment. And judgment is what tears us down. Judgment is is what gets in the way of, of us growing as Christians, of us doing the work of God because we allow judgment to cloud and to interrupt our relationship with the people around us and ultimately with God. But today... Let's pray for mercy. Let's pray that God would show us mercy because for sure we need more mercy than we need to give to anyone else. And say, God, would you fill me with your mercy because I want to triumph. I want to win. I bet you that there's not one person in this room that would say, hey, you know what? I just want to be a loser. I want when people think of me to say, he's the biggest loser ever. No one wants that. Everyone wants to be thought of as successful, as smart. Who wants to be successful? Let let me see your hands. Come on. Who wants success in life, success in relationships, success when it comes to money, success when it comes to children? That man, isn't that one of the biggest treasures that you could look back and say, man, look, that's my kid. That's my friend. I I was so happy to see Alex up here for the first time. I remember he was 16 years old. His parents moved from California to Miami, and this kid was broken. He left his girlfriend, his car, everything in California. And when you're 16 years old, that's everything. Your girlfriend and your car, it's like life is over. And man, I remember like spending hours and days with Alex and teaching him how to play songs on the guitar and and just to see him up here today 
playing with us was like, man, God is so good. And I'm, I'm not the best guitar player. I'm not, I'm not the best singer. But I took a moment to invest in the kid, and I knew he wasn't going to listen to me read him the Bible. He, he didn't want to hear my, my sermons. But I found out that he played guitar, and I said, hey, why don't you come by, and we'll play guitar together. And God opened the door, and mercy triumphed over judgment. Because that's all he was feeling. My parents are trying to ruin my life. My parents moved us to, to L.A., from L.A. to Miami. And I hate Miami. And there's too many Cubans and, and all this stuff. And there was all this judgment and mercy triumphed over it. The last thing, number six, is I must not disguise my own weaknesses. My daughter Stella has a severe chocolate addiction. All right? And whenever chocolate goes missing, we always go to her first. And the other day, there was this big amount of chocolate that was missing. And, and we're like, Stella, did you eat all the chocolate? And Stella's not a good liar. So she just got like really nervous, but her face was full of chocolate. So we knew her weakness. And, and, and part of me wanted her to say no, so I could say, you liar, you're full of chocolate all over your face. And she's like, yes. And, You want me to tell you something? You don't have to hide your weaknesses. Everyone already knows them. Everyone you live with, everyone you work with, don't hide your weaknesses. You're never going to succeed at life by hiding your own sins. It's in the Bible, Proverbs 18, Proverbs 28, 13. You're never going to win. You want loyalty at home. You want loyalty at work. You want loyalty in relationships. Say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm weak when it comes to this. I'm not good at administration. It's true. Um, You know, I need help remembering certain things. It's true. You know what I do? I try to surround myself by highly administrative people, by people who take great notes. And for a while, I thought that that was a weakness. And it wasn't until my friend Alex Miranda gave me a book. It's called One Thing. And he's like, I wish I was like you, and then I realized that I am me. And this is what he told me. He's like, stop worrying about the things that you're not good at and focus on the one thing that you are good at and surround yourself with people. So if you tell people, I need you, you're awesome, you have so many amazing qualities. These are my weaknesses. People will follow you. You don't have to hide your weakness. Just like Stella, you already have chocolate all over your face. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So that's what probably thinking, God, how can I have wiser relationships? Ask God. And you know what I love about the next part of that verse? He freely gives it. He generously gives us wisdom when we ask him for it. And so I'm going to invite you to stand up. And I'm going to share with you, lastly, the secret to a healthy relationship is Jesus Christ. It's inviting him to be part of your life. Colossians 2.3 says, The secret is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all God's treasures of wisdom. So if wisdom is what gives us healthy relationships, God is telling us that the secret lies in Jesus. And so the best thing that you can do is actually invite him into your life. Invite him into every situation. Invite him into every area of your life. You know what we're all guilty of? Is of saying, God, I, I give you everything except this. 
and we hold on to something, whatever it may be, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's something that we enjoy doing that we know that God doesn't want us to do, or maybe it's our career, and God, I give you everything except my business. I give you everything except this relationship that I'm in. I give you everything except my attitude, because I hide behind that hard shell that I have. How about if we really want to be successful and all of you raised your hand that today you would invite Jesus to not just be part of your life but be part of every area of your life. Let's stop blocking God from certain areas of our life and say, God, I surrender all to you. See, the wisest thing that I ever did in my life and I've made many mistakes and I will make more mistakes was to invite Jesus into my life. And say, Jesus, I give you everything. I give you everything I am. The good, the bad, the ugly, the mistakes. Restore me. Make me a better person. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's just a couple things I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe. That way the most recent episode will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, if this podcast has ministered to you and you would like to help us continue reaching people that need to be inspired by the Word of God, please consider making a donation at GodLovesMiami.com. That's GodLovesMiami.com. And we'll see you next time on the God Loves Miami podcast.